You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. the name of the Lord together. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Amen. It's so good to be with you once again, be able to join together once again. Amen. Pastor and Sister Carter, they are away on vacation this week, so just pray for them uh, that they get well rested up and amen and uh, come back refreshed, renewed, revived. Man, and in his stead, he's asked me to preach the word of the Lord. I don't know why he keeps on asking me to do this. <laughs> and I don't know why you guys keep on showing up to hear me, honestly. <laughs> Amen. Love you guys. And um, what a privilege, what an honor it is to be able to join together. Amen. And just for a few moments here tonight, I'm just going to speak to you on this topic. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. And If we could just lift up our voices one more time, just ask God to have his way in this place, to speak to our hearts here today. God, we are so thankful to join together tonight for this midweek Bible study. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, Jesus, for the way that it speaks to us here today. We pray right now that you would speak into our hearts, help our hearts to be ready to receive what you would have us to receive here tonight. We give you all praise and all glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the book of Acts, we see nothing short of explosive, exponential growth. In Acts chapter 1, there are 12 disciples and 120 believers that are represented. Jesus is no longer physically with them. They are bewildered and frightened, but all of that changes on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they're filled with power. These timid disciples are changed into bold witnesses for Jesus, who take the transforming gospel into the streets. The results are electrifying. In response to Peter's first sermon, 3,000 were baptized and became followers of Jesus. Then in chapter 4, we read, of Peter and John speaking to the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin. It says, Acts chapter 4, verse 4, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The church kept on growing exponentially from this first point on. And from there, the gospel message goes back out onto the streets where there are miraculous signs and wonders performed by the apostles. The result is that in Acts chapter 5, it tells us more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And in fact, Acts tells us that each day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. In every chapter of Acts, we see that the church is growing. We see that the church is thriving. And it looks incredible, but they were underneath a tremendous amount of persecution. And although they were growing, it really took off when the gospel jumped that cultural barrier as Peter and then Paul began telling non-Jews about the Christian faith 
it began to spread far beyond Jerusalem and Judea. The best estimates that we read of are by 350 AD, 33 million of the 60 million in the Western world were followers of Jesus. And in over 2,000 years, since the message of the gospel first hit the streets of Jerusalem, there are an estimated 2.6 billion Christians around the world. It is the largest religious group in the world. From 120 in an upper room, the gospel message has multiplied over and over again, and we are happy to report that in 2023, God is still adding to the church daily. Amen. We're thankful for that. The Lord hasn't stopped changing hearts, transforming lives, forgiving people, filling people with his presence, washing away sin. It hasn't stopped. He's still doing it. There are faithful missionaries and church planters who are sacrificing, serving, doing their part to spread the good news all over the world, even here in our own backyard. But we must understand that we are not the ones building the church. God is the one who builds his church. King Solomon, who, first built, who, who built the first temple for the Lord, wrote Psalm 127, and he begins with this. He says, accept the Lord build the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the church, those who labor are laboring in vain. We could develop a million different programs and ministries to entice people to come to church, but unless the Lord builds the church, it is in vain. There are many people who are talented at building buildings. We've got carpenters right here with us, Carl got some incredible builders with us, but a nice building does not qualify as a great church. We, the people, are the body of Christ, not a pile of brick and mortar. The church here in our city are meeting in other church buildings, community centers, hotels, fire halls, and let me tell you, the truth is marching on. I'm excited for our missions conferences coming up. We get to celebrate what God is doing and look forward to what he's going to do. I've had the privilege of being in church buildings in foreign fields with wooden benches and dirt floors and uh, a solitary drum that they're using a branch to beat on <laughs> for their service, their, their only instrument. And I've had the privilege of being in large, beautiful church buildings but no matter the splendor or the lack thereof, it was the presence of the Lord that filled the room that made people walk away differently than when they came. He's all that matters. It's all for Him. And you know what I've noticed? God wants His church to grow. That's why He's created this discipleship structure, this multiplication structure. God wants this church to grow. God wants new children new churches to be built. He wants old churches to be revitalized. We have the privilege to be a part of this process. But if any church is going to grow, if a true church is going to be built, it will be built by God. And so our prayer is this, God, build your church. We've been singing this song for a year now. Just like that song that we've been singing, our prayer is build your church, Lord. Build your church. Build it in me. Build it in people all over this city. Everything we do, 
we need to always have at the forefront of our minds that it's for him. And there is an area of theology that seeks to understand all aspects of the church. This is known as ecclesiology. It is derived from the Greek word ecclesia. It's a term referring to the gathering of believers, the assembly of believers. And so that is us here tonight. We are the ecclesia, building blocks, coming together for the purpose of expanding God's kingdom. And this involves more than just attending church. It's about being the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. We are the body of Christ operating in this world with his mandate. We have the privilege of coming together in collaboration in a church service, just like the one that we're in here tonight, being able to sing songs together and lift up our hands and worship together. That is what the church does. We have that privilege. But as a result of their persecution in the first century, those first century Christians often met secretly in people's homes, wherever they could. And over time, things have evolved into what we have here today. But it didn't just happen. What we have here today was built by pioneers that went before us, paved the way. Buildings built around the globe for believers to be able to gather, the ecclesia, to be able to get together and worship the one true God. And so tonight, I want us to focus on God's building program. I, I believe if we're looking for that through the scripture, the best place to turn to that would be 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It starts like this. It says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. In the Word of God, we have several images of the church. The church is a body. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We see the church as a bride. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, it says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will shew thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. The church is referred to as a building through Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, and I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The image of the church as a building is seen here in this selected text that we have. It says in verse 5 of First Peter chapter 2, Ye also as lively stones are built up, built up a spiritual house. How amazing it is to think that before the world began, we were part of God's master plan. And any church begins with a vision because without a vision, the people perish. Next year, it's hard to believe, next year will mark 100 years that the Davis sisters came to St. John and with them bought, brought the gospel message. And although we may not be a direct result of their ministry, I truly believe that what we have here today, we owe to people like them who were willing to go into areas and to people who never heard that Jesus loves them and died for them. 
believers who had a vision for a church in this city. I thank God for people like Brother and Sister Bustard who seen the vision that God had for this church and bought land and built in East St. John. I thank God for people like Brother and Sister Goddard who took on a huge building program because the church was growing. It was expanding outside of its, uh, of its current place. I thank God for Pastor and Sister Carter who have picked up and kicked off satellite churches in every corner of the city and have invested themselves into the vision that God has given them for this church. I thank God for those people that were willing to go into these areas, into this city, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This assembly would not be here if God was not interested in building his church. There was no way to measure the impact that Mission Point has had throughout its history. We'll never know how many people are in heaven because of the ministry of this church. We'll never know how many people benefited spiritually because of the ministry of this church. All because someone was willing to take the message. They received. Not hold it to themselves, but rather take it into cities and communities that had never heard. Missionaries of the gospel. And we are privileged to continue the work that they started so many years ago, but it all starts with a vision. Let us never forget that faithful people do not build the church. Jesus Christ builds his church in faithful people. Not only did God have a vision for his church, he prepared the proper foundation for his church. Jesus himself laid that foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, For other foundation no, can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so... We see throughout 1 Peter chapter 2, this foundation that's being laid, and he says in verse 6, he continues, he says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him should not be confounded. Peter speaks of the chief cornerstone. A cornerstone is, is literally a stone that forms the base of a corner of the building, joining together. And it's also metaphorically a, an important quality or feature on which a particular thing depends or is based. Jesus is both. He is literally and metaphorically the cornerstone of the church. The chief cornerstone is the basic, essential, and most important part of a building. Everything else is measured and based off of the cornerstone. Everything needs to be built off of him. Everything we do, every ministry we start, every event needs to derive itself off of the purpose of the cornerstone. It must line up with him. And in these verses, Peter references, he says in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. God had laid himself as a foundation of the Jews, rejected him. Verse 7, it says, But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed. The religious leaders in Israel examined Jesus' credentials as the Messiah, and they rejected him. 
They despised and abused him, and eventually they scourged and crucified him. But even after all they did, on that first resurrection morning, he came out of the grave alive forevermore. And God's plan for his church would be accomplished. And through the Jews and others throughout history, they would build his church. He would work through them, his ecclesia. Salvation through Christ is is the greatest thing we could ever receive. He says in verse 7, Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. The fact that Christ is the foundation of the church brings us great assurance. As the foundation of the church, it will endure forever. No death, no decay, no depreciation can destroy the church. It's been through the fire. It's been through the flood, but the church is triumphant. We know of some churches that have literally been through some fires, and we've been through some floods here ourselves. But the church is triumphant. The reason that the church has survived and will continue to do so is because of the chief cornerstone on which the whole building rests. Any church that is ever going to be successful for God must be built on Jesus Christ, not people, Not traditions, not man-made measures of success. Nothing other than Jesus. The foundation has already been laid, and God will use us to build his church on him. And if we attempt to build on anything else, it will never stand. And so I'll read verse 5 again. It says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The chief cornerstone, that foundational stone from which all measurements began. Every other stone was laid in relationship to the cornerstone. I used to build houses, just like Carl, in my land. If you get get a measurement off, if you don't make sure that you've got it exactly on, and you say, oh, you know, what does an eighth of an inch matter over here? Before you know it, on the other side of the house, you'll be out by a foot. It matters. It matters that everything is lined up. Peter says that we are lively stones. Did we get that? (laughs) Whoo! Come on, somebody. Do I still have you? Am I okay? I know, this is a lot of information to line, line up to where I want to go here. But we are lively stones. Amen. And this means that the Lord is the cornerstone, and we are the building blocks. God is building a spiritual house. He desires to do that. He is placing all of his children right where he wants us. He is joining us with one another. The Bible says compacted, fitly joined together, each and every stone exactly where it needs to be. Simply stated, we are the church that God is building. Peter also states that we are a holy priesthood. A priest was one who had access to God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And as a part of this holy priesthood, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. How do we do this? We offer ourselves. We offer 
service. We offer prayers. We offer worship. We offer thanksgiving. We offer praise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. How many is thankful for something that God's done in your life? Give him praise. How many is thankful that he picked you up from where you were? Give him praise. How many is thankful that he's been there with you through the thick and the thin when life is good and when life gets really bad? He's been there. Amen. And Peter, he tells us that these spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God. We are priests in the sense of being servants, but Jesus Christ, he is the great high priest. And this verse indicates that spiritual uh, sacrifices are the motivation for God's church. Consider the author of this epistle, the apostle Peter, a man who went hungry and thirsty following Jesus. A man who left everything he knew behind to be a disciple. He was cursed, beaten, imprisoned, persecuted, and eventually crucified for the cause of Christ. Anybody want to sign up? (laughs) Regardless of all of this, what was entrusted to him he believed was worth his life commitment in sharing. That's what made the difference to all of these disciples. And so regardless of your motivation, God's motivation for his church is that his people as living stones offer him spiritual sacrifices. And God has a vision for his church. He laid the foundation for his church and there was a specific motivation that he had. But since the beginning, there have been those who, have, who were opposed to God's church. We see this in verse 7. I'll read it again. It says, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." The Jews rejected Jesus because they were expecting the Messiah to overthrow Rome and deliver Israel. They thought the Messiah would immediately restore the kingdom in Israel and reward his followers. And when Jesus came, he was not what they were expecting. And so they rejected him. Notice the phrase, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. The cornerstone that we lean upon for strength is the same stone that those who reject him stumble over and fall. But Romans chapter 14 verse 11 tells us, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Those who reject Christ will stumble, fall. Amen. But every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. John chapter 3, verse 18, he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And since the beginning, Satan has opposed God's church. And he has used many others to come against it as well. And this was seen in the Pharisees. It was seen in the Roman government. It was seen throughout 2,000 years of church history. 
We see it each and every day in mainstream media. People are being beheaded just because they are Christian. National governments are killing those who profess Christ. And in a number of countries, Christian, Christians worship secretly for fear of persecution. We get to come in here freely tonight, and it's been mentioned a number of numerous times to you before. But I just think a couple of years ago, we're not that far removed from not being able to join together. And might not have been the exact persecution that we imagined, but still we weren't allowed to gather. And so here today, we have a wonderful privilege of being able to come together. And here in Canada, atheists have succeeded in taking God out of schools, courthouses, government. But Jesus makes it clear in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. There are countless people who not only reject Christ, but they are opposed to God's church. But the agenda of this world cannot stop the mission of God's church. It can't stop what God is building. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I'll end with this in uh, verse 9. It says, but ye are a chosen generation. Somebody say, I'm a chosen generation. A royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Along with God's vision for his church comes his mission for his people. And it is a great privilege to be a part of this mission. Verse 9, it tells us that God chose us. What a blessing to think that the God of all creation has chosen us. Not only to be his people, but to accomplish his purpose. And yes, God is the one who builds the church, but he has chosen to use us as his living stones, as his laborers to build the church. And not only has God chosen us, but the Bible tells us that he called us. We are called that we should show forth the praises of him who have called us out of darkness. This is our first and foremost calling. We were in darkness, but the Lord called us out. And I like what David said in Psalm 40, verse 2. He says, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. We were once dead in trespasses and sins. We once had our feet stuck in the mud, not knowing where to turn. But Jesus, he called us out of that darkness. Peter says that he called us into his marvelous light. He saved our souls, cleansed us of our sins, changed our lives. And when he did all of this, he had a mission in mind for us to accomplish for him. And once the Lord calls us unto salvation, he then commissions us to work for him. He says that you should show forth the praises of him. Peter states that as a result of our being called out of darkness into his marvelous light, we should show others the goodness of God. Jesus, just before he ascended, he left his apostles with some final words concerning his church. And I got all the way through that history lesson just to bring you to this point tonight. He didn't say, build the biggest buildings you can. He didn't say, make sure you have the best programs. 
He didn't say, work hard to entertain everyone. Lord knows I'm working hard. <laughs> he didn't say to fill the pews by any means necessary. He didn't say to have the most vibrant music ministry. He didn't say, make sure to preach eloquent sermons. Thank the Lord. And none of those things are wrong if they're all done for the glory of God. But his final words were about the church's mission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's us. The uttermost part of the earth. If we could all stand just as I come to a close. There are countless programs designed to grow the church. There are many strategies intended to build the church, but the only way a church will ever be successful is to follow God's plan. On Sunday, this past Sunday, Pastor challenged us with the vision that God has given him for our church. Yes, it means some changes are coming to our service structure, but we are being called to become a missionary to our city rather than just a member of a church. We are becoming one of the most unchurched nations of the world. According to a study done in 2021, only 23% of Canadians go to church at least once a month. Less than a quarter of Canadians are in church once a month. But darkening the doors of our church building each week are people who have no experience with church, have no experience with God, people that are hungry for change in their lives. They need God. The church is growing on every continent dramatically, but de decreasing at an alarming rate in Canada. That type of situation calls for missionaries. It calls for those, low, those lively stones to rise up to the challenge that God has built us for. God is calling each of us to be missionaries in our own city. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we are to follow in his footsteps. Missionaries, they're willing to be inconvenienced to bring other people along their spiritual journey. Not seeking our own way, but continually, prayerfully seeking God's way. They're willing to leave comfortable places and live a sacrificial lifestyle. And missionaries, they know that no matter what you are doing throughout your day, you're a missionary. Whether you're at work, you're out shopping, at school, doing anything in your neighborhood or community, you're a missionary. And your mission, being a part of God's church as lively stones, is to share your faith story. The whole church bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. That's the ecclesia. And so just as we end this service here tonight, I want us to join our voices together in prayer and ask God that he would use us as he sees fit. I see the growing pains as Pastor talked about. I see them. And I see, I, I see lives hanging in the balance that are ready for change just in front of us. And I see a church that's ready and willing to be used as God has called us to be. And so just as we pray here today, I want us to pray for ourselves. I want us to pray that God would use us 
individually and collectively, jointly fit together as he designed. Let's just pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful. God, we've heard this similar message many times before, but we're continually reminded of it by every encounter that we have, the opportunities that are in front of us to show forth the praises of you who have called us out of that darkness that we were once in, Jesus, to a world that is in darkness. God, I pray here right now that you would help us to be the light. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be the salt of this earth, missionaries in our communities, to our neighbors, Lord, wherever we're at, in our workplace, Jesus. God, I pray here right now, Lord, for each and every one that you're calling to this church. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to work together, fit together jointly, Jesus. Lord, that you would use us for your purpose and your glory. Let your will be done through our lives here today. We give you praise. God, we give you praise for everything that you've done, Jesus. And we just pray right now, continue to build your church, Lord. Let your church grow. Let your church expand, Jesus, and help us to be a part of it. In Jesus' mighty name, we give you all praise, Lord. We give you all praise. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise your name. Amen. Hallelujah. It's the mission of the church. Hallelujah. Amen. We need to be about the Father's business. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out to Bible study here tonight. And uh, listen to me banter on. (laughs) Amen. I appreciate each and every one of you. Amen. And just before we leave, I'm going to just pray that God would be with us all throughout this week. God, we are so thankful for your presence, Jesus, that we felt in this place. We thank you for the challenge that you've given us. Lord, it's not the great omission, God, to omit any of us from the task that you've placed inside of us by giving us this truth. Lord, but it's the great commission. You've called us to your purpose for such a time as this. And I pray here right now that you would help us to operate in our generation right now this chosen generation, as a royal priesthood, bringing each and every one that we can to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.